Tonight, we take a look at the Boon to Eve Classic, which is about to kick off. We take a look at who the newest and up-and-coming racers are, and what the racing vets think about the fresh blood on the track. And the dangers of spaceflight. We continue our four-part series with an expose on vacuum-breathing life forms. All that and more at 11. Welcome back, smugglers and scoundrels, to another episode of Hoth Topics, a Star Wars podcast. I am your navigational droid, Ian. Joining me this week is Imperial Patrol Trooper John and our resident cloud rider, Mike. Welcome back, gentlemen. I'm going to pretend like we did not just uh, have an entire conversation about this not like 20 minutes ago. Okay. So, continuing on from that thought, we just talked about Solo, a Star Wars story, but there was so much to say about it, we did not get all the way through it. So what I think we should be doing is picking back up where we left off. The last thing we talked about, and we're just going to go, we're speed right into this. Going to light speed right into this. I'm judging you for that. With your hyperdrives and your They expect quality puns from us, Ian. Quality puns. They expect quality puns from you. They expect just garbage just from volume. Me. Garbage and yelling. That's That's me. When we left off last time, we had just kind of finished our introduction to Lando Calrissian and L3, whom they had the crew consisting of Kira, Han, Chewbacca, Tobias Beckett, had convinced to take them to Kessel in order to get unrefined hyperfuel from underneath the spice mines of Kessel and get it to a refinery so that they won't get kill-deaded by one of the bosses of the... I'm going to shake my head. Crimson, Crimson Sun. Lance. Dawn. Eclipse? No, that was the name of Sluice Quasar Blast Ship in our Star Wars That's game. why I, I, keep, I keep messing up. So, Crimson Dawn. Nailed it. Um, we got there. Yeah, I had to I had to go through Sluice Quasar Blast first. Um, Most people do. <laughs> And then he shoots them from behind. Yeah, because that, that's <laughs> that's how heroes are born. Was there anything you guys wanted to add to what we last talked about before I get to the actual on-planet discussion? There were some very significant things that happened on the ship that we should talk about before we that get to the true. planet. That is very true. So maybe we should start there. So, uh, for example, I think you're talking about some of the interpersonal relationship developments. Yeah, because, like... Han and Kira got all makey-outy on the ship. Yep, doing it in the closet of capes. Right. Custom capes. Custom capes. Well, I'm sure I, not all of them were custom. I thoroughly enjoyed those parts because the young child next to me kept like going like, Oh, they're kissing again! Throwing his arms up in disgust. And it made those things <laughs> so much better. Good. I, I heard him yeah, towards he the like end. Nine like metal bracelets, like rattled every time he shifted. That's what that noise every was? Every time he shifted, yeah. I thought somebody was throwing keys. He might have. <laughs> we get a little bit more development with the relationship between Kira and Han, and we get to see a lot of Kira's reservations about just being here on this job and seeing him, because it's very clear that she wants to be with Han, but her dedication to Dryden Voss is even more intense so it really makes you wonder what happens 
while she was still on Corellian. Like, how bad did it get when Dryden got her out of that life? So... He didn't get her out of that life. She's still in it. Right. I I think I was more referring to uh, whatever her situation is that she was in before meeting Dryden. So, what what did you guys feel about that whole... It felt pretty par for the course for a gangster movie. <laughs> oh, okay. That's that's actually it's a, it's a really very, good point. Very, uh, very common trope of somebody has feelings for somebody within an organization, and then that person is to figure out their conflicted feelings between do they stay loyal to their crime family or do they stay loyal to the ones that they care about. Okay, yeah. I played a, a lot of video games. It's well, that's that's a really good thing. point though, because I hadn't been looking at it through that lens. That, that gangster crime lens, and maybe I should have. So little hints of other genres making it through, as as is the case with a lot of Star Wars history. But I think it was good to establish that still, like, you know, more than three years has passed, and we see stuff about what Hans went through, but we don't... We, we look at Kira, and she looks the same outside of the tattoo that she has on her arm when right. we meet up with her again. So we don't really know what kind of life she's lived, and I think it's important to establish that that she's not the same character that we saw earlier. She's gone, went through different things. She's She has more life experience and more understanding about the inner workings of this organization that she's involved with and, you know, more of a basically a criminal in this in this world so i think it was good to establish that yeah that conflict is there but she she's a lot smarter about it than just like some trope female that's in love with some guy that's true she does for 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 a romantic subplot uh there is a lot of balance in that dynamic there which is is really good to see Mm mm-hmm it's well represented and it's realistic. I'm pretty sure it's not a tattoo. I think it's a brand. Like Oh, okay. It's it's about the same size as Dryden's ring. And I know people that have brands, and that's what they kind of come out looking like hmm. after a couple of years. Okay, that's fair enough. We get a little bit more development with Tobias Beckett's character here as well. He walks in and interrupts that meeting of the mouths. Hmm. And he, he shows a lot of concern for his own well-being and Han showing interest in Kira is putting that at risk and putting the job at risk. But I, I got the vibe that he was like legitimately looking out for Han going, hey man, like you and me and Chewbacca, like we've got, he, he says straight up, it's like we've got the makings of a good crew. Mm-hmm. She's not part of and it. And she's not part of it. Right. And he's like legitimately trying to say to him, dude. Your girlfriend's done some stuff. You need to move on if you're going to succeed. He also has that conversation with Chewbacca about looking out for, you know, people are predictable, you know, think te- five steps ahead. It, it Again, it kind of develops this complex character that Tobias is. He's, you know, he's a really bad dude sometimes, but he has a heart of gold other times. But he can so easily shift between those those positions so you don't really like i ended up really liking him as a character uh he might be he might be my vote for like most well-developed in in the movie i think i've watched too many gangster films when the gangster mentor is usually giving advice he's usually giving advice for something that he is going to do like he said like people are predictable and it's like, oh, listen to, like, I'm listening to what he's saying. Oh, that's because this is something that's going to happen 30 minutes from now. That's, but that's, that's me. So you, you, you've, 
you've gone you couldn't quite get out of the meta because of how many yeah, times and, you've seen the trope any anytime an ally says never trust anyone that mentor is or that ally is usually the first one that turns their back on somebody <laughs> yeah fair enough I mean, i've watched indiana jones F- fair enough uh quick that side is... note the guy who says that to harrison ford in indiana jones is the same guy that plays general veers in empire strikes back so, you know a lot boom. about general veers he's also grandmaster pycelle yep not the mother of dragons no Mike, what were your feelings on the... I thought it was just a pretty standard, hey, don't get distracted and do the job because, like, this relationship and this love that you're feeling is going to be basically the ultimate distraction. Just like Ian's distracted right now with a fly in the I was in the listening. Room. Okay. Um, but yeah, I thought it was just standard, hey, just don't, don't screw this up because you're thinking about something else or what's in your pants and just move forward with the job that we have at hand let's use our upstairs brains <laughs> fair, fair enough. enough jinx double jinx i don't think that you owe me a i don't know like a what do we owe you john loaf cat good luck i owe you a loaf cat yeah no talking <laughs> not only do you owe him a loaf cat but you're not allowed to talk on the that's podcast how, that's how jinx works right i think for no i don't think it is Secondly, in this scenario, we would both be trapped. So I say fight the system. Fight the power. John's the power. I, the power. I, if, I, if I can find you a love cat, John, I will find you a love cat. Getting back on track, I think one of my favorite <laughs> scenes in this movie also happened on this ship, which was the, uh, the dialogue between Kira and L3. Yes. Um, really really establishing Lando's love for his his droid. Oh yes, his love for his droid. Right. And how yeah, they they were really just meant to be together but they weren't compatible and she didn't Not have the same be. feelings that he did. But it does work. It does work. It, it does work. I thought that was a really cool like hey, this is a really serious scene in this movie but we're going to take it back a little bit and we're going to give you a little bit of humor before we get into like the huge like story mission that we're about to go through. Right. It was cool too. Cause it really helped. Uh, we talked about it last time developing L three as a truly independent droid, which mm-hmm. is something that we don't see a lot of. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that really helped get more of her character show more of that independent spirit. Yeah, we, we're used to seeing droids that may be free thinking, but their actions are always, like set up by an order to do something. So you have K2SO who's who's like sassy and you know he he has a mind of his own, but as soon as Cassian tells him to do something, he does it. Where with L3 we have Lando will tell her to do something and she will complain about it. You know, not just immediately do the thing. She makes sure that he knows that she's doing it because she, she wants, wants to, to yeah. do it. Uh we move on from kind of that little bit of downtime i like how you 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 mentioned the the brief moment of levity Mm -hmm. there uh not that there aren't more moments of levity going forward but it is it is quite a serious mission and we actually get to the spice mines of kessel kira poses as he's pretending to be this big shot independent person with slaves who uh they she is the plan is for her to present herself as 
a big wig of some sort uh trade slaves for spice yeah start start a dialogue with the pike syndicate about beginning a trading a trade agreement over the spice that the pikes are mining and she offers han and chewbacca who have been put in chains as a sample for the pikes consideration uh beckett comes in disguised as uh, he has the same disguise on that Lando wears in Return of the Jedi to free Han. Uh, and he's their bodyguard. L3 acts as a translator. And Lando stays on the ship to uh, complete his novels and his memoirs. <laughs> and the plan is to have them break in. Han and Chewie go through the mines, get the hyperfuel, get it back to the ship, and they take off. So what What about this, the, the Kessel actual on-planet sequence did you guys enjoy i think l3 was the best part about it absolutely there were there was some dialogue that han dropped some 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 of the joke like gags they did l3 accidentally starting a prison uprising because she just needed a droid to move out of the way for a second (laughs) uh, was probably probably the most entertaining thing that happened there the thing i like about that particular moment is l3 needs to get to a console the droid in the way like won't move because he has a restraining bolt on and she just unlocks it now she's been yelling about droids rights and and how barbaric people treat them but as soon as she frees this guy she's so blasé about like him being released it's just like i don't know just go free other droids if you want I just move out of my way yeah, it wasn't her <laughs> intention to start a revolution but then it actually happened yeah. <laughs> uh and it was uh it was a great part of that sequence. Mm-hmm. We also do get to see some Wookiees. Some other Wookiees. Yeah. I would like to know what the thought process was behind having some of the Wookiees have shaved faces. I, I think that has to do with when 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 Han and Chewie were being presented as gifts and mm-hmm. Mike says, let's get them... Tagged and trimmed. Tagged and tri- uh, yeah, tagged and clipped. Yeah. Um, it it might have been something like hygiene reason that they shave a Wookiee's face or something. Sure. Or maybe it's the costume department ran out of hair. Yeah. It's just, it was, it was definitely one of those things that kind of took me out of the moment. Because... Or, alternatively, it could have been a thing where all the Wookiee costumes kind of look the same, and they wanted to be able to distinguish Chewbacca from the other captives. Especially in that dark sort of... Yeah, yeah there, there, I can I, I can think of a million reasons why it works both story-wise and for behind-the-scenes reasons. It just it, it still was just one of those moments that took me out of the situation because I was like, well, I know what Wookiees look like and this does not look like a Wookiee. And I can rationalize that, but it was still in the moment just kind of like, ah! What happened? Yeah, I thought L3 was really the MVP and just kind of like starting the uprising was was a lot of fun i think we see like chewy's individualism in this portion of it and i think that was really important because throughout the entire thing we just saw him following han and whatever he was doing and to be fair that's all we see really in the uh the original trilogy as well up through the force awakens but like he just met han and so yeah they're they're a great team and they've worked so great since they've met him but you know it's been what a, you know a couple of days so far yeah or something like that but it's good to see him Chewie ultimately had a purpose we saw earlier on in the movie that he wanted to you know find his family and you know wanted to yeah do that so ultimately when he sees another Wookiee 
everything just kind of comes to a halt with him. And right. I thought that was really important instead of just like, hey, just moving on and following Han, doing whatever he's doing to establish that, yeah, this is a different character and to develop him a little bit differently because, you know, this is a new this is a new team, basically, that we have with Han and Chewie. So giving him a little individualism, having him dive off and then dive back in, I thought was a really cool idea. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. One of the one of the things I thought after the first viewing when I came out of the theater was, was there enough Chewbacca in this movie? And after seeing it a second time, I kind of my, my fears were eased a little bit more about that because it's a two and a half hour movie and they fit a lot of stuff in there. Uh, but that was kind of like one of my initial reactions, which which makes that scene and just that development all the more important. I didn't have any uh, issues with how much Chewbacca was in it. And I think it's because I, I have a feeling that if they do go ahead and make more movies in this kind of timeline. Right. I have a feeling that if we get another solo movie, they might go the the old Batman route. And then the next one will be like, you know, Han and Chewie or something like that. And then we'll get more story on, on Chewie or something. But this this movie was supposed to be just about Han. Well, Fair. it's supposed to emphasize Han more than it does Chewbacca. Right, his name's on the title. Yeah. So that's a fair point. That's a fair point. We get to see a pike. Uh, people were really, really excited to see a pike. I was like, cool. This is neat. It was definitely one of those moments that were for, you know, like like John, you recognizing the, the martial art name later down the line. Oh, it's actually in this scene, that in, the, in this sequence that she mentions it. Yes. She uh, beats the crap out of the pike. So this, this was another, like, weird thing that that happened a number of times in the movie. Uh-huh. Where somebody would do some sort of casual martial arts, and then other people would respond with, that was the most amazing thing I ever saw. Uh-huh. Han did this earlier in the movie, and Beckett was like, that was amazing, or whatever. and Or maybe it was uh, Rio. So somebody does something. And then this one, you see Kira flash her cape around a handful of times, and then then she's pulling out a what looks to be a vape out of the Pike's throat. And yeah. L three's like that was that was that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> Whoa. That's, okay. I mean, sure. We'll we'll go with it. That's well, fine. that's I mean, fine. It's fine. It's I think fine. it's I think it's, it's kind of like one of those things where a lot of what they're used to in the underworld is just straight up like. Gunplay and brawling, mm-hmm. you know. So when someone comes in doing ninja high kicks, oh, what it was with Han is when he's he's piloting the the AT hauler, and all he has done is not ram it into a wall as hard as it was going to without him piloting it. And then Rio says, "You are a great pilot." Well, to be fair, <laughs> Rio was really out of it and like super shot. Just a little bit. And I don't really think piloting a ship is really a martial art. Yeah, well, I mean, it was comments made in the movie that okay, tried, tried I see. to make yeah. mundane actions look extraordinary. I know a few maneuvers. List yeah. slightly to the left. Left-ish. Left, left-ish. 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 You know, technical terms. It's all we use here. I mean, it was great. And then I got to watch Tobias shoot people and spin guns again, so I enjoyed that part. He's... Like, I don't know what it is about Tobias, but, like, normally... He's human uh, Cad Bane. When I, see, when I see, like, the excessive gun spinning and everything, I'm just like, you're just trying to be cool. But in this case, it really works. You know what it really <laughs> reminds me of, Ian? Is the, um, the, bounty, or the scoundrel bounty hunter class from Old Republic games. 
Oh yeah, when the, you do the, the, the guy flourish. That's in the cinematic that looks like um, it's high noon. McCree looks like McCree except yeah. space. That's what he reminds me of. Yeah, no, I can see that. I can see that. That's pretty space cool. Space McCree. Space yeah. McCree. It's it's galactic noon. Is that, galactic is that standard right? I don't noon. Play Overwatch. Find a wall. So one thing I didn't like about the scenes on Kessel, honestly, was like how easily they took everything over. They just like kicked a few people and then turned all the droids on everybody and it was over. Like, that was a seriously like super easy takeover of this this place that they they were at. Yeah, I think they tried to put a band-aid on that in, in the script. Because there's a point where, as they're walking in through the area, the Pike is, like, explaining to them, like, Oh, we can control so many people with so few people because we control everything from this little area. And it's like, okay, fair enough, but I, I see what you're saying. I, I think it was a, it was something to kind of show the arrogance of the crime syndicate that they think that they can control so many people with one small action. All of their control is gone, smashed in the face with a... <laughs> some uh, shovels yeah i mean that makes sense but as like a movie goer in a two and a half hour movie when it took that quickly i just thought that was like hey it's super convenient that we're able to get through this really quickly going back to the martial arts comment we get to see some some wookie wrestling going on here my neck still hurts yeah where he power what 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 what's the proper uh wrestling term slam one-handed inverted choke slam uh, <laughs> rocked on, him on his head yeah directly like his head disappears into body like it's dead yeah yeah or Super you dead. know just like very paralyzed and we also do get to see we don't see it happen but we do see uh a man with two arms mm-hmm. and then uh screaming oh. noises and growling and then uh a man with no arms and chewbacca holding two additional arms <laughs> i like that scene because han immediately like he sees this he's not terrified that this happened he just goes <laughs> oh that was the uniform that was gonna fit me but mm-hmm. um, i mean oh well yeah it's fine <laughs> don't worry about it uh i did like the ensuing escape on the falcon as they're loading up and the whole rebellion is happening around them and they're not alone in the fight like they're they might be the only ones with blasters and such but there are people using guards tools and weapons Mm -hmm. mining tools and droids just running around and l3 in the middle of the thing just screaming about revolution and this is where we lose l3 no she's she lives on she she does live on in a way but this is where the l3 as we know her is is shot on that subject we we do see how much lando really cares Mm mm-hmm about L3 because he's willing to risk his life to go out there and and get her and bring her back onto the ship. He manages to get like half of her and then we also okay. see I love that he goes out to pick her up. He gets shot in the shoulder. He goes down. Then Chewbacca goes down and picks up Lando who's still carrying L3 and carries both of them in. Right. I think that that goes to show how strong a Wookiee can be. Yeah. And just also the the, the idea that somebody is cradling somebody that's cradling something. <laughs> that was just a great visual. Right. Rushed in nesting though. Yeah, rushed in nesting things. Lando. <laughs> That was a pretty powerful sequence. One of the reasons why I think it happened is the way that they showed L3 shutting down really looked like someone who had just suffered massive trauma and is dying. And some of that dialogue that she had right there was like somebody was clearly in distress. This is her last moments, but she doesn't know like what to say because 
who puts themselves in that situation. Right. And she's like not entirely there right. either. Like it, it feels like she's going through pain. Right. Which is not, I was going to say, it's not something we really see in Star Wars, but there is that scene in Jabba's palace where they turn a, turn a droid upside down and burn his feet and it screams, which is kind Thanks, of Ian. terrifying. <laughs> You're welcome. But it is not something that we're, we're confronted with a lot of the time. Right. And with a character that was, that had, the development that L3 had, it, it really brought more meaning to to that situation. Another scene that I didn't think that I was going to be as impacted by, but I now that I think back on it, I was like, wow, that was actually like a really good scene is when Chewbacca and uh, the younger Wookiee have a conversation in Shuriwook before Chewbacca goes out to help Han and Lando and get L3 back onto the ship. Meta knowledge, I know all those lines were written out, even though I don't understand what's being said, just the physical actions of them speaking and the, the movements, the body movements that they're making and that fact that when he says goodbye, you know, they do the, the touch heads thing. That helped serve that Chewbacca growth again that he's like, look, I'm, I'm willing, I was willing to leave this guy behind to help my people. And now that I've helped my people, like he's, he's in distress and I trust this guy enough that I'm going to go back for him just like he helped us all get out of here. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I liked that additional Wookiee development. You know, it'd be interesting to find out what the script says that they were saying to each other. Yeah, sure. It'd be interesting to find out if he knew those Wookiees. You know, Star Wars suffers from small town syndrome, so there's like right. 90% chance that like that is his wife Mala and, or his son Lumpy or something like that. Because I believe those two it's are my neighbor's nephew. Now. I think so, you're right. Or, or just to find out what their plan was. There's a lot of times in this movie where people are stranded somewhere, but they seem to know where to go to find ships. <laughs> that, or, or don't. I don't... There's like, it was a lot of just you kind just, of just wandering around, and then they're, they're, they're where they need to be on foot. You, you, so. just, you just walk until you find a ship. They're everywhere. <laughs> Dot the landscape. Yeah, so, yeah, I think it'd be cool to find out what, what the Kazans had wrote for them to be, uh, what their conversation was. Uh, for me... I think it's it's a lot harder to write to write stuff about like L3 and Chewbacca to have the audience connect to them because of like who they are. It's a droid and a, a beast. You could connect to Han and or Lando or whoever because you're a human, and so it's it's a little bit easier. And so we see a lot of L3 and we see a lot of Chewie as just like the comedic effect. Or something like that, but I think these scenes in particular on on this planet do a lot to develop them as not just the comedic characters, but as like real serious members of this team, and and so you're able to see just a little bit, you know, you know, L three is is super comedic in this, but then she gets her moment at the end and in, in her death scene, and Chewie's comedic in some of the things that happen in this, but then you get to see his conflict when he sees the Wookiee and then and then come back. So I think it I thought it was really huge for this one in particular for those two characters to go into a lot more serious things instead of just be the, the comedic after effect for all these humans that are that they're hanging around with. Yeah, I agree with that, 100%. One last thing before we move scenes. Kira's got a great arm. 
she comes charging she out. She chucks those things, doesn't she? Right? <laughs> She's just like, oh, I know how to deal with uh, these turrets. Just disappears into the Falcon at the end of the, the whole like conflict. Comes out with like four grenades and just starts hucking them. Point blank, hitting all these things. Turns around to the guys blank. and goes... Point blank Sorry, hucking. that's not what I meant. But It's opposite point blank. Um, just... Hucks at, least, at least second range. Right on target. Yeah. <laughs> at least 30 at least, feet. Yeah, at least a minus four. Um, a minus four, really. Uh, <laughs> uh, but she, like, I'm I'm looking forward to the Kira cosplayers who will just start popping up and... Start throwing just, stuff at people? Just start throwing grenades at That's people. Fine. <laughs> Does that mean the Han cosplayers are required to throw rocks at windows? Absolutely. I would hope so. And they have to make the clicking noise with their mouth first. I mean, my mic looks like a rock. We, we need those for this, right? Get... We talked a little bit about the Kessel Run, yeah. But there's still there. There's one important thing that happens while this is happening. They get start making their way off of Kessel. There is an Imperial blockade that starts coming in. And thinking about it now, my first thought was, okay, why does the Empire care? But we know from Rebels, and we know also kind of just from things dotted throughout this movie that the empire and the syndicates have some sort of connection and if one of their biggest illicit drug supplies are being threatened they'll probably send something to figure out what's going on in this case that something was a giant star destroyer they probably just heard a distress call from a planet and were sending law enforcement to help stabilize the situation propaganda lies slander don't how, don't believe their lies you? okay maybe that uh which then begs the question john why did they start immediately shooting at an escaping vessel from the problem escaping or instigating vessel they wouldn't know they could have gotten communications about a big white and blue ship that was leaving with unrefined coaxium guys let's talk about the ultimate fate of l3 she eventually... She died doing what she loved. She, she she literally dies in Lando's arms, or shuts down. Han's doing his best to make his way through the, the Maelstrom. But in order to get out of there, they need the navigation charts. Now, it's said that L3 had the best navigation system in the galaxy. Han's idea is to, hey, maybe if we plug her hard drive into the Falcon and upload her, then we'll be able to access those navigation charts and get out of here. And so they do. They upload uh, L3 into the Falcon's computer system where she is absorbed. So it's not just the hard drive they install. It's her brain. They're not installing just the data. They're right. installing her personality. Everything and the that data was L3. Right. What, what do you guys think of L3's ultimate fate? Becoming one with the Falcon. I wish we would have gotten more of her, like, sass and dialogue from doing so but i understand why they that's not going to happen but ultimately she's part of the ship and the ship that she helps navigate with lando so i think that's that's a fine well mike they kind of do in the original trilogy han sends 3po to talk to the falcon find out what's going on and he remarks that the ship is very rude and has a very peculiar dialect it's kind of like one of those weird i wonder why he said that instances that they didn't really need to explain now it's kind of a fun fact They're like oh yeah it's one of those weird fan service-esque moments where it's like oh let's find out the origin of such and such as like left boot and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't for me this one worked 
That's cool. I didn't I didn't remember that moment. So yeah, that makes sense. A couple of days after we saw Solo, and uh, we saw it on the twenty fourth, we went to Steel Wars live recording. One of the panelists at his show brought up a really interesting point that in Empire Strikes Back, when they need to figure out a place to escape to after they get out of the asteroid field, they're going through the ship's options of where to go. The best place for them to go is to Lando. So it's kind of like is, is was it the best option or was that L 3s personality trying to get back to Thorazian? And I thought that was a really interesting Yeah, that maybe is maybe like thinking way too much about a point, but it conveniently fits Right. Totally. Fits the theme. It it it's kinda cool to think too that L three is now also playing a role similar to that of three PO and R two, where she as the Millennium Falcon has bared witness to part of this huge legacy Mm -hmm. like she was she was a part of the original trilogy and now she's a part of you know the sequel trilogy with chewbacca and ray and finn and everybody on board in the resistance so it's kind it's kind of a neat thing to think about that like she's still kind of there in a ghost in the machine sort of sense Mm -hmm. uh a ghost in the machine right assuming droids have souls which we all know they don't so no no ghosts i ain't scared of no digital ghost shouldn't be because they don't have souls. Right. And they don't exist. Yeah, so they don't exist. Gotcha. Nailed it. I thought just the visuals that we got there was the most impressive to me throughout the rest of the movie. Just the scenes with the giant tentacle monster and what the maw looked like and what and everything that was kind of being sucked into it. I thought that was visually very impressive. I enjoyed watching the skin on that thing just get slowly ripped off and it kept getting pulled in. <laughs> it was just like this massive skeletal yeah, ball just giant sitting there. white head just being slowly pulled in as the rest of its skin is being ripped off the back of it. I find that scenes in films with special effects that have that dirty, gritty sort of, you know, cloudy sense to them always look really good because... All of that kind of chaos and darkness and shadowy effects and fog and all that really helps to mask any weird standout-ish special effects. Sure. Like, you know, semi-recently to, to, to last year, I watched the, the Murder on the Orient Express and the special effects in that film in certain parts were really noticeable. But I think that was one of the reasons why is it was like presented so clean and perfect and all that. But I agree with you. It was it was fun. It was a, it was a fun. This whole movie is just fun. I'm gonna use the word fun a lot. It's just fun, 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 fun. John, anything to add on the? No, you you got it with the monster ball skull. Yeah, monster ball skull. We're good. Monster ball skull. Oh, I did I did enjoy as they they need to get out and they have a very limited window. They have their 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 quintessential ticking clock, multiple ticking clocks in this one where um. They need to escape through this narrow passage of, like, giant astral bodies about to collide. And Kira's like, how are we going to get out of here? And it's like, oh, it's going to be like that tunnel back in Corellia. It's like, that didn't work. He's like, oh, probably will. And <laughs> it worked this time. The, I like that. I Call back to earlier. I, this was a really dumb joke, but I did enjoy the part where he's like, I learned this from my buddy... What is it, Needles or something? Needles. I learned this from my buddy Needles, the best street racer oh. on the streets of Corellia. He pulled this move. And then he died. But it's going to work for us like that. Doing that move. Yeah, doing that move. (laughs) It was was a really, it was one of those, like, I'm I'm beginning to think that I like dumb humor. Because, you know, we've we've heard a lot of people complaining about the the Marvel humor. 
that we've been seeing in Star Wars and in 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 Marvel, and I'm just beginning to think that that's just my kind of humor, because I I I just I like those kind of dumb jokes and references mm-hmm. and things. Uh, the Millennium Falcon, at this point, very badly damaged from doing the Kessel Run in twelve parsecs. Ish. Well, if you round down, manages to make it to the uh, refinery location on Savarine, which is a planet that, that is correct. Is uh, th- this refinery looks like it got blown up, and then somebody's still using what remains? It's not a very nice looking area. None of the locals talk uh, to anybody. They manage to get the hyperfuel on ice and are awaiting the arrival of. They're awaiting Dryden Voss's ship to arrive, and he, upon waiting, they are ambushed by Emphis Ness and her Cloud Riders. We mentioned in the last podcast how I think we all really liked the the train robbery scene and how cool Emphis Nest was, and her character takes an unexpected turn here. I would have been 100% okay with it if she just never took off the mask i feel like they took off the mask to do like not only is this character a badass but she's also a girl but i don't feel like that was warranted i i kind of like the idea that we didn't know who or what she was the old um western game star wars rpg refers to tuscan raiders or man or vegetable and i kind <laughs> of i kind of that's what i kind of applied to the character of Enfys nest like i kind of wish they kept it a mystery or done the small universe thing and made her somebody that Tobias knew. For half of the movie, I was almost sure that it was going to be Kira. Until there's a scene where Kira and Emphis Nest are looking at each other. I'm like, okay, that can't be it. Right. And when she does the reveal that she's this young woman, she kind of looked like Val and Beckett. That's what I thought. Yeah. And I spent the entire time like waiting for Beckett to be like, Hey, hon. Uh, long time no see. And there's there's parts of the movie that uh, kind of feed into that, where Infus Nest, uh, in a few minutes from when she after she reveals herself, says like something to the effect of, "My mother taught me before she died or before she took off the, the mask uh, about some things," and like that could have been a reference to Val, Val sacrificing her at, herself at the beginning. She needed to blow up that bridge for that that train to crash and either one of them to be able to get away and so she could have been doing it to either save her her love interest or save her daughter there's a part where infus nest warns tobias to release the their cables when they're flying away with the container like release your cables or die that doesn't sound like something a marauder like gives you a choice on so i i think there was either a change in the script or a missed opportunity because i think that would have made her character and Beckett's character even more interesting that this whole time it's been uh, father versus daughter over these these like same jobs. Okay, I kind of like the the whole she's she's just a random nobody because I spent the entire movie going oh it's Kira oh no wait it's Val in disguise oh no wait it's their daughter I kind I kind of like the the nobody thing for the same reason I like the Ray is nobody thing mm-hmm. it's just different person like it's a wide galaxy people can do stuff i think that her reasonings for doing what she's doing were perfectly adequate and that the comment about this hyperfuel starting a rebellion was not necessary i think that was one of those holdout moments from 
this idea that all the Star Wars movies need to be connected in some way. And I mean, this movie's already connected because it's Han Solo, you know? I don't think that that was really necessary. I would have been fine with her just saying, yeah, we need this fuel because we're fighting against these crime syndicates who are tearing down our families and getting revenge. That's the the impression I got on the second viewing. On the first viewing, I just heard rebellion sort of thing, and I just assumed, like, oh, she's part of some proto-rebellion against the Empire. The second time I watched it, when she goes, she gives that terrifying story about what Crimson Dawn has done to to that planet. Yeah, the local Cutting population. out people's tongues because they spoke against them. The second time watching it, it, it kind of felt like she was getting this feel to go to war against the syndicates more. And I think it was just her saying rebellion at the beginning kind of threw me off because in Star Wars, when you yell rebellion, it kind of feels I, like you only it mean was, one thing. She specifically included the Empire in her speech against the crime syndicates, basically tell, saying that they were in league with each other. For me, the scene where she talks about rebellion on the second viewing felt even more like she was saying, no, this is starting the rebellion that you'll see in Rogue One. It's it's interesting that you kind of went the other direction on that one. What about you, Mike? What, what was your thoughts on the Emphis Nest reveal? I thought it was the beginning of a really muddy final act that hmm. that we kind of were were given at the end of the movie i mirror a lot of the things that you said one of the the things that i didn't want to see in this movie back you know when we talked about it before was i didn't want a galactic you know a big storyline to kind of oversee everything that happened and i once i heard rebellion and empire out of her mouth it just kind of like turned me off on you know what what we saw and what everything that was going into it. I wanted, I wanted a little bit lower of an impact of what they were doing as opposed to it being the start of the rebellion. And, you know, these are the the resources that they need to get it kickstarted and stuff like that. So coming out of the reveal, Han talks to Beckett and tells him like, Hey, we can't give this fuel to Voss. And he's like, I don't, I can't tell if he agrees. I think he disagrees because he doesn't want to live with the death mark. Uh, Tobias, but then just like kind of like agrees to walk away, I guess. Yeah. And this is this kind of like goes back to what I was saying about this missed opportunity to have Infus Ness and Tobias being related, because there's a scene where when he walks away from this this gang that's been plaguing all of his jobs, it seems he just kind of casually waves at her and she yeah. casually waves back and yeah, he just walks it, off. It's like and this... it gave this very like they're familiar with each other, but like. Not in a, we've tried to kill each other way, but within, like, I'll see you at home for dinner. It kind was of kind of de-emphasized everything that you saw in between those two characters yeah. beforehand. Exactly. Like, you know, like I said earlier, she was the thorn in his side, and she he had a reputation of just screwing this guy over, over mm-hmm. and over again. And now they're just, okay, I'm bye. I'll see you next time. It was a really weird direction choice to, like, this is this is super nitpicky. But the way that she waved back at him, like, to me, took badass, awesome Emphis Ness that was trying to kill him the whole time and turned her into kind of like a, a dorky schoolgirl. Yeah. Because she just kind of like goes, people can't see me because this is an audio podcast, but her arm just like goes straight in the air and stiffens and then she like waves it back and forth. Yeah. Like that... like an old timey schoolgirl wishing her father well when he goes to work the fields. It was very yeah, strange. That, that whole that whole segment of them ambushing ambushing them, you know, just kind of 
okay, we're here, and then her talking to her waving. That whole segment for me almost ruined that character. Because she's such a badass throughout the movie. She's, she is a phantom menace, so to speak. Right. Nice. Thank hey. you. She, she does regain some of that a little bit later on. Just I, I feel like there was, in the writing process, maybe they were just like, oh, we're almost at the end, and they kind of, you know, writer's fatigue, and you just they, kind of forget yeah, some things. You need to tie up a bunch of loose ends, and this yeah. is one that like needed. if If Tobias just left, and there was no interaction between her, her and Tobias, it wouldn't have bugged me as much, but it made this like fan theory in my head that they were they knew each other related like even more cemented uh we we move on from them being captured to han formulating a plan that gets like hit in in his brain he's like we can pay off dryden voss and also not give him the the fuel i don't understand how this plan was going to work without him being on the bad side of Dryden. It will, like, no, there's no way that it could. Well, but the way he presents it to Tobias when he's trying to convince him to do it, he's just like, I got a way where we can get Emphasness off our back and Dryden Voss off our back. And when the plan's enacted, you're like, you're going to piss off so one of these groups. Like, that's not his, possible. His plan at that point is already knowing that Tobias is going to betray him. So he's giving him all this information to keep Tobias trusting him that the plan that they're doing is is what's going to happen. Yeah. But you're right. I, Han's plan, no matter what, ends with him and Kira dead or Dryden dead. Yeah, and I guess it does kind of make sense too because once that inevitable conflict comes to pass and it's over, he's just like, I'm not scared of these people. Han takes the crates of hyperfuel with a hidden weapon to Dryden Dryden inspects the fuel, he believes it's fake, mm-hmm. sends his private military out to capture Emphasis forces. The reason Dryden believes it's fake is because Tobias has informed him of a plan to trick him, which he believes has happened. What has actually happened is Han is counting on the betrayal and has brought the real Hyperfuel. Most of Emphasis forces are in hiding and ambush Dryden's guards after they realize that they've been bamboozled. Correct. Uh, what follows is Tobias taking out Dryden's guards because he sees an opportunity to take the hyperfuel of go and go. Basically, makes Chewie at gunpoint pick up the hyperfuel and leave, which leaves Dryden, Kira, and Han in a room with two knives, a blaster. And a sword, and sent to sort things out. Dryden believes Kira is still on his side. Battle ensues. Kira gets the upper hand on Han, and then betrays Dryden and kills him. Is that all my summary of that conflict? I think you got there. Okay. It it, It sparkles with me. It seems... Uh, let's before we move on to the, the the resolution of that fight sequence. Let's let's talk about the fight sequence a bit. I really enjoyed this close quarters combat where even though Han had the advantage of just having a blaster, he was still on even ground with Dryden Voss. I don't think he was on even ground like uh, at all. Oh, uh, like Dryden was gonna kill him. when when it started, and he's trying to use this blaster. All these guys coming at him with brass knuckle, vibro blade things. It reminded me a lot of the movie Equilibrium and the gun kata martial art that Christian Bale is using, mm. where you use your gun to like you do martial arts, but you still use your gun. The problem is, is that uh, 
it gets into one move and then he immediately loses his gun because it's, <laughs> he brought he brought a gun to a close quarters knife fight. Right. Which, you know, I, I thought was funny that you think that he's going to get the upper hand and then, like, he just doesn't have a gun and he doesn't know what to do. So he just <laughs> dives behind cover. But I, I really enjoyed that fight sequence, personally. Um, how about you, Mike? You're giving me a, I, give me a look. I have strong opinions about this sequence okay let's let's i'm not gonna be that guy for once i i didn't like it at all because it just from the start it looked like they were just doing a um choreographed dance yeah but it looked like a lightsaber battle to me yeah it played out exactly like a lightsaber battle would in between two people and it just like all of the moves just looked exactly like that and i was ready for you know, in an action sequence at the end of a Star Wars movie that didn't involve lightsabers, and they played it out exactly like they would have if they had those in their hands, but they didn't. So I just kind of, from the start, it just kind of turned me off. Like, once that blaster got knocked out of his hands, every other movement in that entire scene was like they had lightsabers. You know what? You, you've uh, actually succeeded in convincing me a little bit. I'm not saying you've dampened my enthusiasm about the scene and all, but I sure. I, I understand where you're coming from because as someone who really likes lightsabers sure, and the it. fights thereof, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So that's that's a really interesting point, and I I think I'm with you in that at the end of a Han Solo movie, I would have preferred a Han Solo style fight. Yeah. Okay. It really wasn't a Han Solo fight. He was in it for a handful of seconds, and then it was just Kira and Dryden fighting. And, you know, earlier, Kira had mentioned that she had learned her martial arts style from Dryden. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like a showcase of that fighting style. Yeah, I didn't even think about it the way you did. Maybe it's just because I watched so much sci-fi and half of them end up in weird martial arts battles. Yeah, it's because hitting people with things up close is cool. I I can see how you uh, you can perceive it as a a lightsaber battle. Lightsaber battles, to me, just mean overly choreographed, non-lethal blows that are made to look fantastic and bounce off another person's blade to make a sparky noise. Well, that's... But never really, like... Let me... And the ol- for me, the only time that those moves looked fatal, like like that they were killing blows, is when Dryden was swiping at the ground at Han as he tried to scuffle away. So, the result of the fight is one dead Dryden Voss and two standing people in the form of Han and Kira. Han is intent to go after Beckett and retrieve Chewbacca. Kira encourages him to do so. There is some... Very uh, strangely delivered dialogue. There is a a dialogue scene that could have been stronger, yes. For me, like, it was... It felt weird, and the more I thought about it, the more it felt... Like, they're paying homage to, like, a 40s noir type of story. Oh, yeah, Um, I can see that. It reminded me a lot of the end of Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. There's these kind of, like, corny lines that are, like, said. They're meant to be heartfelt, but they're campy at the same time. Right. But just the way that Kira delivered the, when I think of you on your adventures, I smile. Uh But she starts it by just being like, hey, Han. Smile. Smile. What? What is this in reference to? Excuse? Especially that Alden Ehrenreich turns around with a look of, I don't know what you're saying either. (laughs) I'm like, I'm with you, Alden. She delivers her line, which is uh, mirroring earlier when they first caught up, that when she thought of Han on these adventures after he was able to get off Corellia, that it made her smile. 
Ian's smiling awkwardly right now, and I, I don't know how to deal with it. Um, <laughs> she she tells Han to go get Chewie because he will need him. On second viewing, was like that's her. I've made my decision to leave. Oh, uh, dude, you're you're life. blowing my mind with this right now. So this part of the movie, I think they took a little bit from Disney's Emperor's New Groove. Uh, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't they draw from that film? Because Han goes off to capture Tobias, who has a head start and is apparently just wandering down the coast for no reason with Chewie. <laughs> and Han ends up like in the path of uh, Tobias and Chewie, who is like a mile and a half away and is just already in front of them. And all I can think about is when Cusco and Pacha get back to the capital city and Gronk and Esma are already there and they're like how did you get here before us and then Gronk pulls down a chart and it's like by all means it makes no sense and like shows a map of them, like, <laughs> like that's all I could think about when he showed up because he's he's standing there like he's been there waiting for them yep but he just left and they've had like a you know like a 20 minute head start so that was weird <laughs> to me but <laughs> at the same time it like it harkens back to old like gangster movies, like you know, the bat, the, the good guy's always going to catch up, and the, their final like standoff. I I rationalize that in my brain as oh, he probably just took a speeder. Those things are loud, and I'm sure Beckett would have heard it. <laughs> um, zero sense. But K- Kira, like like you said, she she makes her decision to stay behind, and Han thinks she's going to grab valuables and then follow him, but uh, she ends up taking. I, I wish that Han was a little bit smarter because she. She's going to grab the... She looks at the jewels, hinting at that she's going to take the jewels. They're going to the take way. the jewels to, so they can go buy a ship. They're on a ship. Well, they're on no a... longer has an owner. Uh, I can kind of see why. I think many of <laughs> I the I don't patrons... think you would want to be traveling around in that ship. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you could take that ship somewhere and then ditch it. And not just ditch it on a planet that you just wander around in the desert on. <laughs> well, by the way, those gems... Were like the fakest looking yeah, movie they were jewels. Absolutely costume uh, like costume jewels. There's a lot more expensive. Like there's like a Sith holocron in there. There's like a handful of old lightsabers. There's a set of there's or a, no a old Republic era Mandalorian yeah. armor. There's an um, there's an entire freaking crystal skull. There's well no Han blasted that into little tiny pieces. Oh, okay, or yeah, Beckett yeah. did. There's a fertility idol from Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark in there, and I'm sure that that's a fantastic collector's piece. Yeah, it has got to be worth some money. Somebody will pay some fan will pick it up. Spielberg wants it back. I bet. <laughs> the one piece of jewelry she does grab is the signet ring off of Dryden Voss's finger, and she puts it on a console and calls up the person who Dryden works for. Now, I think this is going to be probably the most talked about and divisive thing that occurs in this movie. She calls up. Darth Maul. Who? You mean Maul? Who is just Maul at this He's point? He's not a Darth. He is not a Darth. I believe he was credited as Darth. It was not. No, it was, it was not. Just Maul. It was just Maul. Just Maul. Okay. Yep. Hey, and Maul get... voice and Maul body. Yep. Maul body and Maul voice. Uh, b- embodied by Ray Park, who played him in the original appearance in, in the, the original Phantom prequels? Menace. Original prequels. I-, I said original appearance, not original. You <laughs> were going to though. I know, but I saved it, and now you're pointing it out, and I look like a fool. Uh, you have done that yourself. <laughs> hey, full circle. Uh, <laughs> and he was voiced by Sam Whitward, who voiced uh, him Lieutenant Crashdown in Battlestar Galactica, the 2003 reimagined series. If you understand that reference, please leave us a comment. Or if you don't, you're the ones. Yeah, also leave us a comment. All that. 
Sam Witwer voice uh, a number of characters in the Clone Wars and Rebels TV shows, but Maul was his primary character voice, I believe. Also, uh, Starkiller in uh, Force Unleashed yes, games. Yes, he was also Starkiller in the Force Unleashed game. I was all for the appearance of Darth Maul because I was like, I was not expecting that. I'm going to give Mike's opinion on this first because he doesn't know the backstories. Okay, yeah, let's, let's Mike, do how'd that. Mike, how do you feel about old no legs showing up? I, I with legs, I didn't have a problem with it. I I didn't really overthink it or really care that. I thought as long as it was just some bad guy on the other end, and they mm. established that she has different intentions and just you know doing whatever Han wanted to do. I thought that was the important part of it. I didn't really care who was on the other end. It turned out to be Darth Maul, and I don't hate the prequels, so I liked Darth Maul as a character whenever it happened. And I don't have a problem with him showing up again and him being an instigator or whatever it is. I hope that more people have your opinion on that. Uh, yeah, I, I do I have too. a feeling they're not. Yeah. At the at the time this movie takes place, as far as we know, Maul is unaccounted for. And we know that he has the ability to take over a crime syndicate. It's not unreasonable to think that he just did it again. Yeah, and it's it's interesting too because in those parts of the movie that... I personally didn't like so much when they were making all those connections between the crime syndicate and the Empire. Like, it's perfectly reasonable to uh, assume that the job Palpatine has for Maul to do is like, hey, here's a sector of the galaxy that I need a pawn to run, and I know you're strong enough to do it, so uh, you go deal with this while I do important stuff over here with Vader. Well, while Kier's talking to him, he does something <laughs> that I know you dislike. And then I kind of was able to, like, justify it for you, but we both agree it was dumb. Right. So. I'm all about the Force users. I liked Maul's appearance. You know, I and, and it took me a while to, like, come around to the fact that I liked it. Like, even after seeing it the first time and, like, a full 24 hours later, I was like, I liked it, I think. When, when Kira's talking to Maul, just being Maul should have been enough. But instead, he feels the need to reach out his hand, uh, get his lightsaber. Yeah, he's, he's using thing. the one that he uses in Rebels. Yeah, he calls it to his hand, like, activates it in front of his face, and, like, is just trying to menace Kira, I guess. Again, John, you were able to, to, to really, like, kind of this explain is, this... why it happened, but it was still, like, one of those fanboy... It was it was a Dr. Like, Evans and Ponda Baba moment. Like, what, what, what did you think of the lightsaber activation, or did it even register? I, I don't even remember it. Okay, so fair enough. <laughs> to be fair, we didn't remember it at first either. Oh, yeah, okay. Before I go into my <laughs> this explanation... This was second-hand fandom that happened No, 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 no. no. <laughs> this, is, this is something we realized when we were driving home. Okay. When we left the movie and we're walking back to the Scum and Villainy Cantina from the Chinese theater, I look over at you and I'm like, Ian, do you realize that this is the first Star Wars movie where a lightsaber wasn't activated and we had just seen it be activated like... 10 minutes earlier okay and it escaped both of our minds <laughs> see it's it wasn't mine until too. we were driving home after steel saunders live recording at scum and villainy that we were i was like wait a minute and i'm dumb and then you're like i'm dumb too because i agreed with you 100 percent um so and then i started thinking like why did they do that and i think and again this is like my dumb reasoning but like it right. makes sense but it's still dumb I think they did it because there are a lot of people that didn't watch the Clone Wars and didn't watch Rebels that don't know that Darth Maul's alive. Now, there'll be some people that'll immediately realize, like, oh, that's Darth Maul. Uh, but other people will be, will be like, well, Darth Maul's dead, so that's not Darth Maul. This guy has robot legs. Darth Maul didn't have robot legs. So I think that him 
pulling his lightsaber in is that thing that solidifies like no this is maul right for the general audience and it's it's still dumb it's kind of like hand holding a little bit i think but at the same time whatever I was sure that character was going to be a, a character named Prince Caesar or Sizer or Zizor. X I Z O R, I believe his name is from the uh, the old Shadows Zizor. of the Empire novels. And I remember when Maul pulls his, his hood off, the dude sitting next to me at the Chinese theater freaked out. Oh, he was, and he said after he's like, "I'm a huge Maul fan." Yeah. And I was like, "Yes." He, he does more cosplays and all this stuff, and he was beside himself a lot of the a lot of the theater uh, at the chinese was like whoa go mall 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 happens Mm -hmm. uh and we cut over to the the speedy confrontation yeah between han by no means this doesn't make any sense to me either yeah han is standing han is standing in front of beckett and chewy is there and he's like hey what took you so long or like which basically means the same thing and whoa well man that you can't use that language here it's a kids show <laughs> this is a podcast for 12 year olds <laughs> uh sometimes man sometimes <laughs> and han's like i came as fast as i could buddy and beckett starts doing the classic movie trope you know i'm gonna learn you your final lesson yeah I'm, I'm gonna talk to you while i pull my gun out and han just blasts him right in the heart Yep. This again. One might say Beckett dies first. See, people keep bringing that up. I didn't connect those two things at all when I was watching this either time. So Han runs over to Tobias and like grabs his arm and like holds him as he's dying. And there's this really poignant moment, I think, between the two where even though Han shot him in the chest, poignant moment between Tobias and, and Han where he, Tobias is dying and Han... Is, is not is, is not <laughs> John <laughs> oh. uh, uh, but it, it it was one of those things where it's just like he's dying and you're still kind of like well, Tobias might be redeemable like he was straight up going to kill Han he said he was going to kill Han and I just thought that was an interesting um, way for him to go what do you guys think Classic uh, bad guy mentor, doesn't listen to his own advice, uh, and ends up being killed by the apprentice sort of thing. It was very similar to, to Sith doctrine, Ian. I think you could agree yeah. with this if you think about it. Yeah, okay. Uh, I can see that. You have Tobias as the master, Han as the apprentice. In, in my Sith theory, the object of a master, or the, the mission of a master is to raise his apprentice to a point where he can eliminate the master eliminate himself right and so han shooting the master using the master's advice rushing over to you know comfort his master as he dies and tobias not holding holding it against him like almost saying like you you did good yeah you you did what what i taught you i think he legitimately says you did good kid i would have killed you yeah he does (laughs) and then he also says that he was never going to learn to play that instrument yeah, the Cause something Sacord or something. He's tone deaf. Mike, how about you? I don't know. This I'm going back to. I don't like Han Solo as a character, and Fair. this this scene was really was really a good example of why. It's just like the guy shot him, and then you're going to console him afterwards. It's like he's he's a good guy in bad guy's clothing. It's just over and over again. It's like he's a walking contradiction, and. I'd, so I don't feel anything for him, and so I don't, 
I don't get the whole, you know, you know, one second you're killing a guy and the other second you're you're consoling him as he's dying in your arms. It's not I'm not stoked on that. I get why it would mm-hmm. be sure. in the you know, the Sith it's, landscape. Well, like not not even in the Sith but like yeah. what I said that it's it's the classic gangster movie, right? Right. Master and Apprentice. Yeah. Which... I, I get it. But this this whole scene was just kind of an example of why I'm not stoked on the character and it just kind of like it was ruined it for me. That kind of closes off the movie. We have one additional scene that we get. Kira flies away. Um, Han has this conversation with Emphis Nest about, you know... First of all, he gives the stuff back. I was kind of hoping he was just going to abscond with it because that would bring him a little bit closer to the Han that we see in in A New Hope. But he doesn't. Uh, He gives it back. She gives him a vial in exchange, which they use in in the last scene of the movie and she she offers you know he's like you should join us you we should we could use a good guy like you and, and he's like nah which again like i i don't know i i i wanted more bad han yeah so i i guess i'm kind of with you on that level like how you felt about the Tobias scene is kind of how i felt about this part i was just sure. like all right guys like if you're going to be out for yourself, be out for yourself. Like, at least take half the stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah, I, I think that if he had absconded with more than just one vial, because he says it's like... He didn't even... Like, act. a couple million credits worth of... 60 million credits. Yeah, and he doesn't take yeah. any of it for himself. Yeah, and she gave it to him. It's not like he asked for anything in return. He was going to walk away with nothing. And then mm. she was like, oh, here, have this one thing. It's like, okay, smuggler, you did great. Yeah. You're about to walk away with nothing after which, everything that you've been through. Which makes me think through. that if Infus Nest was somebody that Tobias knew or something, maybe it would have made more sense. Like, Sure. He's like, well, make sure that as he dies, he's like, make sure that she I shot your something. father, so yeah. I'm going to make it up to you by giving you 60 million credits in refined hyperfuel. That's how that works, right? Equivalent exchange? Yeah. And the more I think about it, the more I'm like, oh, yeah, the third act could have used some help. But the very last scene we get, we go well, back. Well, real quick, so Wa-ba-ba-ba. Kira, he wow. kills he kills Tobias. He's about to head back, and Kira takes off. The last shot of Kira is her kind of, like, teary-eyed. Like, she... Yeah, they're supposedly both staring at each other, even though one's on a ship. Across like... the stars. Yeah. yeah. This was, like, a running theme throughout the whole movie is... A character losing something that they loved. Mm. Beckett loses Val. Beckett loses Val, and, and they do Rio. they do a lot of setting up Beckett and Val's relationship, and then like the next scene, she's she's gone. Yeah, mm-hmm. waste of her um, character. And then he has to immediately get over that. Lando loses L three. Yep. and has to immediately get over that. As the same thing with 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 Han, Kira takes off, and he has to. Interesting, too. I think this is the first scene where Han actually allows Chewbacca to comfort him. Because we see throughout the film, Chewbacca will be like, Oh, you found your girlfriend. Oh, she's ignoring you. You okay? And he's like, No, nah, get off me. It's like, you. Oh, you lost the you lost at the, the gambling game. You know, are you all right? Not to stop touching me. This is one of the first times at the end where Chewbacca's just like, Dude, that sucks, man. And Han's just like, Yeah, man. So that line about... Uh, Han needing Chewie because she's mm-hmm. going to take off. Yeah, that's a lot more poignant now. 
good uh, good good point. Yeah, good, Twenty minutes ago, that I am now <laughs> connecting the dots to here. All right, so um, on to the last scene. On to the last scene. Lando is hanging out in another random gambling game. This time in a jungle. Han and Chewie show up and immediately are like super aggressive towards him. And as they should be. As they should be. Kind of abandon him. And Lando's just like, "Whoa, hey guys, please don't shoot me." Uh, and Han gets him in a hug where he gets into that little arm contraption. Well, he this, had. this time he sees that Lando yeah. had been had a literally a card up his sleeve. Right. And so he manages to to take the card out from his little sleeve contraption and uses the hyperfuel as a buy-in for the game. Tricks Lando into betting his ship again and wins the falcon from lando because lando no longer has that card up his sleeve it's just proof that he didn't need to cheat to to win, win and that lando did mm-hmm. and that was that was it everybody was too excited no. as as I'm, I'm not i'm not a screenwriter but i really wish that that scene would have just ended with lando throwing down his cards and then han just smirking and then throwing his cards down but then the cuts to black like you don't see what his cards were so we don't know if that's when he would have won the Falcon. I, I actually, uh, I really like that. Like, that might have been an edit that I would have made, just, like, thinking about the scene. Um, it, it, it would have played better if we knew that there was, like, sequels to this coming out. Well, it might, it might have played... Or better if it, we it, didn't know there's sequels. Yeah, exactly, because at that point, you can leave it up yeah, to... And, and just, just end on Han smirking. Right. And we see them fly off, so... That that is uh, that's solo in a nutshell. Uh, coming back around, you guys. Let, let's get final thoughts on on the movie. Uh, John, let, let's let's start with you. Uh, I'm going to defer to Mike. Mike, let's start with you. Instead. I accept. Um, it was a fun movie that tore itself apart in Act Three. I there were so many different sequences that I just didn't like about the third act and how it it wrapped itself up. Uh, Emphis Nest was one of them. We talked about that. Uh, Kira calls Han Solo the good guy blatantly. And I hate, I, I stopped wanting to be in the theater when she said that. Um, so that I had a problem with that. And then the whole lightsaber battle as well. And then Han telling Beckett that they can't keep the hyper fuel that they, he can't give it to, um, Paul Bettany's character and so all of those things just kind of wrapped around within just like five minutes I'm just like I want to leave right now I'm over this it was so much fun and now it's just kind of dumping all over itself and <laughs> please stop <laughs> okay. I think there were some redeeming qualities at the end I thought that Han shooting Beckett with in mid-sentence I thought yeah. was a really good idea Yeah, without you having that that idea that he was actually going to do it that he just did it yeah and and you, you never see him with his like getting ready to aim right or do it it's just mid-sentence boof I, I loved that and then immediately he went to console him and i'm like okay that's that's great he's a good guy again so um yeah i had strong opinions about hansel as a character going into it and this movie didn't really change anything it was it was a fun movie that developed a lot of characters both new and old that were a lot of fun to to build into but i just i didn't like where the story ended up and it kind of 
yeah, it just kind of took away from all of those fun moments that I had before it. So as a, dare I say, a casual Star Wars fan, mm-hmm. you're not, like, insane like we are. Right. How do you feel the the standalone films have gone so far with Rogue One? Or, like, do, do, would you prefer Rogue One or Solo over one or the other? Like, which, I loved you... Rogue One. I thought okay. it was by far a superior movie okay. to what we got in Solo. Um, again, some of that is just preconceived notions about who Han Solo is, okay, and I enough, wasn't quite excited about a Han Solo story. But I thought there were also really... There's a lot more depth that we got with Rogue One. There was a lot more kind of serious moments that we got with Rogue One that connected with me a little bit better than okay. we got with Han Solo. So Because of I, those, those preconceived notions? Yeah, for the most part. Okay. Mm-hmm. John, how about you? I, I hate saying that it was fun because... <laughs> it's, that's ever, what it's everybody true, is saying. <laughs> since the... Um, yeah, since the the movie, like the actual premiere, however many weeks ago, or the Red Carpet premiere, I should say, all the reviews, non-spoilery reviews I've said have said it was fun. And even in our podcast about what we wanted, I think my thing was, I just wa- I said, I just want this movie to be fun. And now that I'm hearing it nonstop, <laughs> like my inner punk rocker's taking over, and I'm like, I'm not part of your fun bandwagon, bro. <laughs> like, I can't say it, but yeah, it, it was fun and I, I did enjoy a lot of it. I'm in a boat, I'm in a small dinghy being tied behind Mike's boat of Han Solo's character in this. Um, I do agree with a lot of points he says about how he didn't want Han Solo to be the good guy and right. to actually have a character like i didn't even think about that character just going you're the good guy it's like someone's going up to luke skywalker or whatever like you like you are the one like you're the chosen one like, <laughs> right. like okay we get it yeah and i i, I was hoping that Can it would end it? with cool. with a more vague han solo and personality wise they 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 did a lot to reinforce that han solo was the you know the, the scoundrel with the heart of gold even though throughout the movie han solo himself is trying to it feels like he's trying to run away from that he doesn't want to be in the crime but he, he wants well, he, he wants kinda, to be the bad guy he kind of does yeah he well he's, he's trying to run away from lady prox but then get their own ship so they can run away and just be whoever but once he's in the crime scene he kind of like wants to be as good at it, at it as anyone else and be the he straight up says to Kira after she calls him the good guy, "No, I'm not the good guy. I'm not. I'm totally not." Yeah, and you totally believed it. By yeah, me. and the way the line <laughs> is delivered is the way like I felt the movie was kind of pushing the he's smuggling with the heart of gold thing. He's like, "I'm yeah, I'm not the bad guy," but like you don't feel like confidence behind him saying that. Right. The only other thing I didn't like was just how they handled Infus Nest. Like I love the character. The character is is badass at the beginning, and then just kind of meh in the third act they, they built a great character and then just didn't do enough with her yeah in the right ways they, okay. they both they both offended her but then they tried to redeem it with not being what that character was presented with us it'd be like if boba fett showed up in empire strikes back and at the end let han go like, like who cares about this this character that's supposed to be all like hardcore and then whatever right but Overall, um, it's probably going to be one of the movies like Rogue One where when I'm bored, I will put it on when I need something in the background that I won't just sit down and have to like analyze everything. I can just put it on and enjoy. Right. 
Yeah, I'm uh if 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 you're in a dinghy tied to Mike's boat, then I'm on a surfboard that is attached to your dinghy, which is being pulled by Mike's boat. I think that there were definitely some points in this movie that could have used a little bit of of attention and maybe a little bit more follow through on making uh, it a slightly darker tone when it came to the end with Han. Plugging the rebellion stuff in, having him still be kind of the good guy. Like I said in our pregame thing, one of the most important things for me is that we got hints of Han being the Han we see in A New Hope. And I think they like planted those seeds. They didn't do enough with it in this film. Saying that, however, I have a, I have a point I want to t- tap onto that. But overall, I had a lot of fun with the film. I'm willing to see it in theaters again. 4DX. I'm not doing 4DX. I'm never doing 4DX again. It was a great experiment. But it was... My stomach can't handle it. Like, it's like being on a roller coaster for two and a half hours. Oh, it'd be amazing. Like, I, 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 I love the idea of 4DX, but the execution makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> so... But uh, I, I, I enjoyed the film. I recommend it to Star Wars fans. One of the things that I've been hearing is a lot of people who did not like uh, The Last Jedi have been saying, uh, some people I know have been saying that they really liked this movie, even though they weren't fans of The Last Jedi. And there are people out there who are just saying everything that's new in Disney is bad. But uh, I, I recommend it. If you're on the fence about it, Give it a chance because it has flaws and we talked about those flaws, but it really is a fun ride. Like that word keeps coming up. I cannot emphasize enough how enjoyable it was just to sit back and see another dumb space adventure. Like this was a great summer movie and I think it's going to, I think it's eventually going to be one of those ones that ends up in, in the middle of people's lists in terms of what they, uh, in terms of how they rank Star Wars films, I, I see this one being a solid middle one. And you got anything else? Um, I think that's it. I think that uh, I'd I'd like to talk more about like the culture, uh, and, and kind of the 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 reactions so far that we've kind of encountered. But we'll 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 save that for another time. I think, gents. Well, I'd like to thank everybody for joining us for another episode of Hoth Topics, a Star Wars podcast. Hey, Ian, um, where could they drop us a line? They can drop us a line via email format. Dropping the ball on me. I know. I just... Let's try that again. The Ian, where can our fine friends drop us a line? Well, they can find us at our website at hothtopicspodcast.com. You can also shoot us an email at hothtopics... I'm sorry, hothpod at gmail.com. Hothpod tweet at us. at gmail.com. Hothpod at gmail.com. And shoot us a tweet on the Twitters at hothpod. The thing about the, the Twitter... And the Gmail, that they both both have the word at. In yeah, them? it throws me <laughs> off every time. Like, I, if we go back in all these episodes, it's always going to be going at <gasps> Hothpod. Yeah, I got it right. Well, yeah, <laughs> I do the same thing because you want to say you can tweet us out at 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 Hothpod. Right. And as much as I love at ats, right? As a general viewers lover, that's the end of that sentence. Yeah, John just loves There's general no viewers. Just. Just, just as, just as uh, Mike's feelings for Solo uh, burn so dimly, uh, John's feelings for Veers is hope grow the opposite. Hope is like the sun, right? Which is like John's love for Veers. Just general Veers. 
If you would like to let us know any questions or comments or... Compliments? Compliments or not those or... (laughs) Uh, want us to have a question that you'd like us to answer, please, 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 please let us know. We love getting people's feedback, and we would absolutely love to hear from you guys. So uh, I think that just about does it. I've been Ian. I, uh, I'm just realizing that I have no Star Wars media to look forward to for a very long time. Uh, that's John, forgetting that Episode Nine is closer than you think. Mike's here as well. Thanks, everybody. We will see you next time. No, we don't need the clapboard. I don't have my clapboard. Good. Welcome back. Three, two, one.